This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. I'm Lucy Navarro, a second-year MRX student at Columbia GSAP. I am speaking with Helen Learn and Elizabeth Timmy, co-founders of LA Moss, in advance of their lecture at the school on November 8, 2018. LA Moss is a nonprofit urban design organization based in Los Angeles that helps underserved communities shape their future through policy and architecture. Thank you for speaking with me today. So what are your respective backgrounds, and how does that influence your approach um, to architecture? This is Helen. My background is that I was trained in public policy and urban planning. I worked for a local elected official who eventually became mayor of Los Angeles. And I grew up as a child of Chinese immigrants. Uh, My first few years of life was in public housing in Los Angeles, and I grew up in a working class immigrant community. So I would say that that collection of experiences means that I uh, am really curious about people because I grew up with people from very different perspectives. And because I work with Elizabeth, who has a background that is very different and a training that's very different, I love to understand and unpack the facts and uh, be able to kind of share a thought process grounded in reason. So my academic orientation is to being strategic, succinct, um, and have a rational train of thought. And I'm Elizabeth Timmy, and I grew up in Houston, Texas and uh, moved to Los Angeles when I was 13. However, I also lived between um, the West Indies on an island called Nevis, Saint, uh, which is a city in France, which is one of the original capitals of Gaul, and also grew up in Rome when my father won the Rome Prize, and I am a third-generation architect, as you mentioned when we were talking earlier. And... um, the way in which architecture was, well, so my uh, personal background is that I came from a situation of privilege and I was not aware of it until I graduated and was out in the world. And that is because um, I think I grew up in so many different contexts that I wasn't aware of my proximity to resources. And um, I also, Helen and I share that value of being curious and interested. Helen has a reverence, however, for the system or the structure of um, kind of politics and procedure that I have an extreme distaste for. Um, And I think that that is because of, you know, seeing different, uh, growing up in different cities and seeing people really be at the short end of the stick relative to like planning or um, social services. So we both deeply care about helping people and doing what's right and what's fair. And we come at it from very different um, perspectives. And I would say as a non-architect that works in the world of architecture, I really love seeing how architecture can be really thoughtful and contextual and reflect kind of people in place in a way that is programmatically thoughtful as well as kind of architecturally contextual. So one of the joys of working with Elizabeth is that we both have a deep, sincere desire to, you know, not design for, but like design with and reflect those values of the people that we serve. And in the case of LA Moss, it's lower income, underserved communities that have historically been marginalized and Uh, have not had the opportunity to the right and beauty and privilege of a thoughtful design process or design outcome. So that is a really fascinating 
in terms of where we work as an organization with a social mission, but with the skills of architecture and policy. Yeah. Do you think that um, the contrast between your upbringing benefits the firm, essentially? Because it seems like you're sitting here and there's a synergy between the two of you that is, is pretty potent. So how does that affect the, the firm? That's such a loaded comment. <laughs> I would say I, I grew up low in, in low-income communities as a low-income individual in an underserved community. So in terms of working with the population that we do as LA Mass, uh, I can personally relate to what it's like to go to a meeting, to have to read through something complicated, yeah. to even un- like believe that government can do anything and that people mean well. And um, I think being coming from a privileged white affluent perspective, where I was constantly thrown in alternative contexts and interested and curious about local values and need and history has meant that I'm sincerely um, committed to using my privilege and my education to uh, translate ideas, to communicate, and to support. And so uh, Helen and I have the same values and they're complementary, but the ways in which that our tools are very different. And, you know, when I met Helen, it was interesting because Helen did not like design. She felt that it was a proxy of, which it is, capitalism and commodities and, uh, you know, privilege. privilege. And it it has become that. But I grew up with an architect who believed that architecture was a social and civic responsibility. And we did not talk about architecture the way that architecture is talked about now as something you do to museums or handbags. And um, the idea that an architect would do a product line would be abhorrent growing up in the world that I grew that, you know, my, my house as a kid. It was this deeply valued and civic profession. And so we, we, I think Helen and I have really provocative conversations because, um, because of our different backgrounds and we're kind of trying to understand ourselves uh, through our partnership. Do you think, because you guys both went to school in the East Coast, and I I know that you said you just grew up with a um, very civic-minded household, and how did that translate coming out of the GSD? You could have easily worked for a large firm and made loads of money, but instead you guys are both here and you're running a nonprofit and making real change. So what's, what's the trade-off? And it's hard work, so why do you do it, I guess? I mean, will you... So we came back to L.A. 2012, 2013, and that was a time when Los Angeles hadn't really recovered from the recession. And so architects and planners and people who were doing things relative to civic projects, um, they weren't, they were struggling a bit and trying to kind of re-ground or or figure out where public projects were going to be, where initiatives were going to be. and how to fund those. And so uh, Helen and I both uh, came back to LA trying to understand our place in it and started having conversations. I had started LA Moss six months or eight months prior to meeting Helen. Um, And we were both in the same place in that we felt connected to the city we grew up in, wanted to be there and commit to building and supporting the communities we grew up in. And we took a leap of faith with 
each other to do that together. And I would say that I uh, I did go to GSC for a semester from an urban planning degree, but I am a product of the values of the Harvard Kennedy School. And all my classmates at HKS in some own way believed that they could change the world and they wanted to do that as their career. Um, And that was the environment in which I went to graduate school and that was the environment in which I left. So I knew that I always wanted to do work in the world of social justice, community economic development, something that leveled the playing field for people like my parents um, who weren't as educated, weren't as well off financially, and always had the system working against them. And I think the question for me is, where can I do it? And as I came back to LA in 2013, the neighborhood I grew up in was kind of at the beginning era of being gentrified because of investments in the Los Angeles River. And I wanted to think about what are the strategies out there that's more than what community development corporations are doing today, that's creative, that's innovative, that could really help the people like my parents um, who are in those neighborhoods so that they can stay, maintain that cultural diversity, that social economic kind of vibrancy. And I think that was what really draw, drew me to Elizabeth and her vision for LA Mass because we shared those values of how Angelinos uh, have this incredible breadth of background. And as the city changes, how can the city change to include those people? Um, you you bring up something very critical, which is the ability to think that you can change the world. And um, Elizabeth, you've said before that you don't really engage academia a lot because you don't believe it's fundamentally concerned with what the future of architecture is. And I wonder what you feel needs to change in order for every graduate student, every architect that's receiving a diploma that they truly believe that architecture is about changing um, and positively impact impacting their, their communities? I think it's a serious problem that architects don't realize how complicit we are in servicing and supporting capitalism. I think it's a serious issue, and it's become intrinsic to our profession to a level that we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. And we're ambitious for all the wrong reasons. I used to think we were not ambitious enough, but I think we are ambitious. We say we're going to be planners of new cities and towns. And you know, you look at Zaha Hadid, who was an incredible social provocateur, and the work that she did, and the fact that she died when she did is so tragic, because what she was doing was she was being a proxy for capitalism in all the worst ways, and she was ambivalent about it. And. There's a toxicness to our culture in that we have all these really, I mean, we built cathedrals. We built incredible things to, to give people jobs and to express something ephemeral in stone. And that's so amazing and so powerful. And yet we talk about parametric architecture. We talk about things in a vacuum and we talk about systems that we can create so that we, don't, we, don't, we aren't important. And we so kind of destabilized the profession in so many different ways that what is the most compelling and human and and grounding thing about what we are learning how to do is that marriage between ideals and um, practice. And we've totally torn those things apart and made it impossible for people to understand how we talk or why we're doing anything. So I do think that the entire educational process has to be leveled and rebuilt. Um, And I say that as someone who grew up the daughter of an academic, 
because I do think that we have had periods of productive conversation for architecture. I just think we're in the dark ages relative to talking about the point of our skills. And I would say as someone who's learned about the field of architecture and learned about how amazing the technical skills that an architect has and how much the how much society values those skills there's a huge disconnect and i think that's because the way that things get built the way that capitalization happens means that it's a division division of labor so as the architect you're never going to think about really programming or financing or development so i would say that the architects that get to be progressive and you can see their values reflecting beyond the design to all the other parts of architecture broadly is when there is a multidisciplinary approach that's meaningful, that's open, and when there are partnerships where an architect architect can share with a planner kind of perspectives and vice versa, and that the person who owns the land and is financing is also part of that conversation. So rather than it being linear, where the architect comes in once everything is set in stone, the architect gets to come in earlier, um, as well as the community you know, the community and just kind of the programming and the outcome. Uh, and I think that's the most interesting potential of how so, architecture can we should be role. We should be intermediaries. We should be translators of values. We should be navigators and negotiators for people in need or for people. We should, tra- we should be in the practice of translating values into assets. And the idea that we are just a culture of perverts to the point where Helen, someone who I think of as enormously um, creative in your own right, someone very open-minded, <laughs> I can't believe that you would think of the discipline of architecture to be like handbags and like, you know, um, labels. Like, and that's crazy sad because I don't think of a profession that is more capable of supporting and bringing uh, up people who are tradesmen, people who are families, supporting communities. We have the ability as a practice to do all these incredible monumental things. And it's such a substantial, uh, powerful force that we have behind us historically. And I think that's where there's like interesting growth or resurgence of design bills because oftentimes architects design something and never gets built. They don't even get you know, paper projects, construction administration. Yeah. Um, and that there's some architects who are figuring out how to under- really understand the construction, manage it, have their general contracting license. That's like one way to think about how to go beyond your traditional discipline to be able to implement um, or to have a thoughtful community engagement arm. Yeah. Or to be a thoughtful but, developer, too. But the thing is, is like the way we, we screw ourselves is that we look at people like John Portman or John Jurdy, who developed like Fremont Street Experience and all these malls. We look at these people and we thumb our nose at them and we're like, what awful like people. But they were trying to create civic space at a time when people were running away from cities. And instead of looking at the point of the project, we thumb our nose at the intent. And we slight people and we say, oh, well, that those idiots or we look at uh, Prudigo and we're like, well, that's what happens when you build social housing. Like we don't talk about the intent and where there was room to learn and the things that we should have asked for those projects to be successful. We just thumb our nose at it and then we feel really good about ourselves and then we just further marginalize ourselves into paper projects and products. And it's super messed up. We should not be like kicking our like parents in the you know crotch we should be really excited about where we've come and how we've gotten here because there's all these really passionate architects before us who are really really cared 
So I look at like Eisenman and all these other people, and I think they've really destabilized our ability to talk about the past and the future. But how do we go back? There's there's clearly something profound that you guys are saying, and but without taking a seat at the table and really kicking those doors down, then how much change can you achieve from the sidelines? Like, how much would I benefit from having you guys in a classroom? I don't a know. great amount. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me answer that for you. A great amount. So I, I think, I mean, I encourage you guys to engage in academia and in the profession because, like, these are things that we need to begin to talk about. They're pertinent things. Yeah. I would say we always say yes to going to a review to support our fellow colleagues that are teaching in urban design and planning. But even today, we were asked to speak on a landscaping slash planning project. We did not directly engage anyone from the architectural side of the school because we're not seen as architects. But why is that? Well, I would say that the urban design program, the majority of people who um, are students are architects. They have, they have architecture training and then like secondary landscape architecture training. Um, and what's interesting about seeing the students uh, today present on their kind of program and project was that it was kind of an uncomfortable Mm, totally to actually do more than just architecture and actually think thoughtfully about programming did you get a lot of sections and you're like why am i seeing a section with structure so so being and i think something about section and perspective and site planning is so compelling for someone who's completely not in that space but it is completely irrelevant if you can't ground it in need and values and purpose and financing and strategic implementation. So it was interesting to see that full scale. And I commend actually Columbia University for kind of pushing students who have training in architecture and landscape architecture to take a post-professional degree in urban design and try to think about context economy analysis. And it's uh, cool. It's a cool. That was great to see. It's a cool mix of students and it's very cool. Um, And this is just a week after the midterm review. So it'll be interesting to see what will happen like in final reviews. Like, can, can you get this training that is really multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary without actually going to planning school, policy school, getting an MBA? Yeah. Which is hard. Yeah, I think both of us, I think, you know, Helen's background working with the current mayor of L.A., she saw a lot of really awful engagement processes and said, as a community member, I would never do this. And as the daughter of an architect going to school for architecture, I thought, why would anyone be excited about a paper project? I've seen construction sites. I've grown up around people that are building things. I know the energy relative to making something happen. Why is this what we're being told the point is? Why are we looking at canonical like riffs on like a grid, a 3D grid? Like why, why am I studying Lavalette, like a project that had to be rebuilt three times? Like I, I just, it was, it was just so, but for both of us coming out of school and seeing what we had to do or what the deal was and the difference between school and the professional background, it was such a huge chasm that both of us were like, what's the point of this? Let's do something different together. And I would say for all the GSAP students that are listening out there that as you pursue your so profession You're so good. You're so good. See, design. I'm the one-liner person. You're so good at being, like, strategic. So to all of you listening. <laughs> well, my point is that whatever you end up doing, you're going to be doing some level of design. And I encourage you to think about kind of two questions every time you do something is, who are you designing for and why do they care? Or, like, I would say the opposite. Like, why don't you just go to a local community group and start helping? 
You know, I'm so tired of other white women that are my friends and that are hopefully not listening to this. And they're like, I'm going to help by writing postcards and I'm going to help by, do you know, phone banking and I'm going to like do all this activist stuff. And that's such like elitist bullshit. Like go to a local community group and volunteer and help out and use your skills to do something. Like, I don't understand. Like, I've learned so much. Don't come into a community and say, I'm just going to design for you. No, 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 no. You got to be thoughtful about how to do that. Just listen. Listen and help and don't do, don't put forward your opinion because no one cares. We're not trained for that though. (laughs) Yeah, no, but the point is, is like, keep your perspective and your opinions to yourself and go and help. connect it to the values you've heard. If you have to say I at the beginning of a sentence, don't say anything. And if you say my, I, or like anything relative to yourself as a way to engage people, you need to completely rethink the way that you're approaching and like sitting at the table. So I would say to any architecture student, like you are already privileged because you're an architecture student. Like there are people that are supporting you to be here and you are able to be here in a way that you you should acknowledge your privilege and you should use it to relate to and help others. And like that is your responsibility 200%. I need to write that down. Pin it up on my studio. Well, thank you guys so much for this conversation. Mind-blowing. Enlightening. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's super refreshing. It's incredibly refreshing. Well, thank you. It's and if an any honor. of you are ever in Los Angeles, feel free to reach out. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.